Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? Getfeatured.media will get you featured on targeted shows. They'll design a custom bio page, pitch you to the hosts, schedule a time, prepare you for the shows and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.media to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 54 of Can I Pick Your Brain? My guest today has been named by CNN as the man executives turn to for business advice. He's also known around the world as the business growth guru, which quite frankly didn't impress me much, seeing as everybody nowadays calls himself a guru, until, however, I did a little research into the man. At age 21, he had 14 employees, and by 35, he'd helped build his first two $100 million companies and was responsible for helping 1-800-GOT-JUNK go from $2 million to $106 million in revenue in just six years. Now, that's just insane. He has also helped one of his clients land over 5,200 media placements, including coverage on USA Today, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, CNBC, Fortune, Dr. Phil, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. He is also the author of Meetings Suck, and the global best-selling business book, Double Double, which is in its seventh printing and is translated into multiple languages around the world. His newly released book, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, is part of the globally trending Morning Miracle series created by Hal Elrod. And according to the publisher of Forbes magazine, he is considered to be one of the top-rated international speakers and has been paid to speak in 26 countries. Cameron, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That was a mouthful. I'm sorry if I embarrassed you so much over there. (laughs) All all good. I just went and grabbed coffee. (laughs) Very funny. Um, (laughs) I'm looking forward to how you can help get my company to $100 million. But before I do, can you tell us a little bit about your background? What, What was it like growing up? Sure. I'm, I was groomed as an entrepreneur, actually. When I, when I grew up, my father was an entrepreneur. Both of my grandfathers were entrepreneurs. And we were groomed at a very young age to understand that being a, being a, a business owner, really controlling your own destiny, controlling your own time, um, controlling all of your own opportunities was better than having a job. So we were groomed to do a lot of little entrepreneurial ventures at a very young age. And I started my first company when I was 21. Right. And you, you had, uh, we well, said 14 employees, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was it was some 12 to 14 employees when I was 21 years old. I think technically I actually started when I was 20, which, yeah, because I, I was 20, 20 years and two months old when I started my first company and hired nine employees. And what was it that you did? Uh, we painted houses. Um, I got involved in a, a group called College Pro Painters, which turned out to be the largest residential house painting company on the planet. 
And I was a franchisee for them when I was in university for three years. And then actually went on and worked at the head office for College Pro Painters and started coaching and, and managing franchisees and was part of a team of really 60 people in North America that built a 9,000-person company from scratch every year. Wow. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, I mean, how did you manage to, you know, I guess at 21 years old, I guess it's hard to manage people when, you know, you kind of, you're young, you've got an ego. How, how did you manage them? Um, not really. No, they, they trained us. I mean, we got a lot of really good early stage business training on how to actually understand situational leadership, how to align people with what mattered. So one of the things that we learned at a very young age was to find out, as an example, what my painter's goals were for the summer. How much money did they want to make? Hmm. How much free time did they want to have? What did they want their summer to look and feel like? And then I kind of created and showed them a business plan for them as to what they needed to do to make that much money. And that really hmm. kind of dovetailed into what I would do to, to how I would make all of my money. Really, I think of everything and see everything backwards. I reverse engineer everything. Really interesting. I want to go back for a second, though, to your, you said that you were groomed as a child uh, to be an entrepreneur. What, what do you mean by that? And let's say, for example, I, I have four kids myself. My oldest is eight. Um, what do you do to groom your child to become an entrepreneur? Sure. Well, I actually did a TED talk. My um, my talk is still on the main TED.com website. I did a talk about seven years ago about raising kids as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So if you um, if you just go on TED.com and look up my name, you'll you'll find it. But cool. some some basic um, lessons would be things like this: teaching your kid to have confidence and to be able to think out loud. So my dad would have us stand up and tell stories, and we would come up with three random things, and we had to think on our feet and come up with a story and and tell the story to our siblings. Um, he taught us to go door to door. So we would go door to door selling things and it would be, you know, for one week I'd sell license plate protectors door to door. And then I did a newspaper route and then I sold pin cushions door to door. I sold comic books at our cottage and I would buy comic books from all the kids and then sit down, um, and sell them. I went on the golf course and went into all the ponds and pulled out golf balls and then packaged them up three ways to sell the expensive <laughs> ones. And, you know, just lots of little business ventures that some lasted one or two days and some lasted six weeks, but um, I would learn lessons from those. I would learn about handling rejection. I would learn about pricing. I would learn about marketing. And, you know, I could probably give you 20 different businesses that I ran by the time I was 15 and one or two really solid core business lessons that I would have learned from each of those. Wow, that's incredible. And you, uh, you, you wrote a... But here's the, big, here's right. the biggest lesson I think I learned from my dad. He took me to the golf course when we were, I was about 15 years old. And he took me there in the middle of the day on a Wednesday and he showed me all of the people coming into the golf course and he kept telling me what they did for work and every one of them <laughs> owned their own business. And then we went and played 18 holes of golf and came back and we're sitting on the patio and he showed me all the people showing up at five o'clock and talked to me about each of the jobs that each of those people had. And mm. he tried to explain to me that when you control your own time, you can have more free time and more enjoyment in life than if you have a job. And that lesson really stuck with me. And that's really what I wanted to do. In fact, I'm playing golf in the middle of the day today with three friends. Well, very cool. I like playing tennis in the middle of the day. It's like... I do too. <laughs> and you know, it's like funny because you're standing there on a Tuesday at like, you know, two in the afternoon playing tennis. And you're just thinking, God, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, what the heck? Like, you see people... And, and I'll be honest with you, if I could, you know, I kind of feel... I, I just feel bad for people that, that don't have that luxury. And it's like, I, I really feel almost like, why do I get to do that? Um, you know, why do I get to have that? And, and other people are literally like, 
they're just schlepping around all day long for like ten dollars an hour or whatever it is it, it really well, kind of you know. but life is a choice you know i think all of us have choices and people could if they choose quit their job and start doing something but most people are satisfied or they spend too much time watching reality tv or <laughs> you know not engaged in trying to learn look like you know all of the information on how to start a business and how to build a business is all available online for free there's mm-hmm. amazing books that people can read um, but people have to take action no one's going to hand you your life you have to go out and grab it right and i'll you know what i'll bring myself as an example i'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I built up a company um, seven years ago and I basically outsourced the whole thing so that I don't have to do anything because I'm kind of lazy, <laughs> you know, um, and also because I, I just don't enjoy certain things. Like I, I hate having to deal with um, customers. I don't like, you know, accounting. I don't like chasing money, um, anything to do with admin. Like I'm a creative I'm a creative guy. So I like, you know, new ideas, new, you know, um, networking, things like that. Um, so I basically outsourced the whole thing um, and then moved country. I, I now live in, in Israel. I built the company in the UK. Um, it still runs itself. It runs by itself. I practically spend maybe two hours a week, if that, involved. Um, but you know what? Sometimes I think to myself, why don't I grow it more? Like, why don't I put more into it, like more effort? Like, I love the fact that you've taken a company like... Uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK from $2 million to $106 million because it's very easy at $2 million to think, you know what? I made it. I'm at $2 million. What do I, like, what do I need more? And like, is it even possible to get more? And you know, how much more? Maybe we can get to $3 million, but like, that's already stretching it. But like $100 million, it sounds like almost not possible. You know what I'm saying? How does a person who's kind of in that, in that sort of mindset where they're just like, I don't know. How do I, how do I break through? How do I get to double well, the business? It's not, and it, because it's not about breaking through. It's about leaning out into the future and deciding what you want your future to be and then reverse engineering that. So, you know, when you and I, before we started our call, I asked you a question about how big do you want your business to be? And you said, I don't know. I'm not really sure what it can be yet. Yes. Well, just, just pick a number. And, and then I'll give you, here's the best example I can give you. I've known Elon Musk for 26 years. His brother, Kimball, used to work for me at College Pro Painters. So when Elon built the Tesla, the Model S, I saw the very first prototype when it was still in the back of SpaceX. He had it covered with a drop sheet, and I took 12 CEOs to come in for a tour. He was telling us that it, was a, it had a seven-seat option. And we asked, why did you have the seven-seat option? Like, who would build a sedan <laughs> right. that seats seven people? Well, his answer was, I have five kids. <laughs> so why would I build a car that can't seat my family? Right. And that makes perfect sense. So basically what he said was, I'm going to build something. It has to be insanely fast. It has to be super sexy, you know, kind of to compete with his old car, the McLaren F1. Mm-hmm. It has to seat my family. Who wants to help me build it? And most people don't do that. They try to make the Prius a little bit faster or they try to grow their business from 1 million to 2 million, from 2 million to 3 million, hmm. instead of saying, what would my business look like if it was 100 million three years from now? What would it look like at 60 million two years from now? What would it look like one year from now at 30 million? What would I have to do to get there and reverse engineering it? So if you, if you dream a little bit bigger and then work your dream backwards to today, people will be incredibly amazed at what they can actually build. 
Okay, but we're we're talking we're talking big numbers. I mean, a lot most of the people listening to this either they've just started their business or maybe they're making like maybe they're doing six figures, right? So for them, it's like, I mean, well, but I sat I sat with the founder of Uber eight years ago before he'd started the company, and he was telling me about what his dreams were for Uber, and I thought he was nuts because he was dreaming so big. <laughs> but most people don't dream big enough. They dream small and then they build small into something bigger and they build bigger into a little bit bigger than that. What they need to do if they're a hundred thousand dollar business is visualize their company at five million and whiteboard. What would it look like at five million? So I even talk in the first chapter of my book, Double Double, about a vivid vision and describing your company three years from today as if you're standing walking around your business. Describe marketing, describe you know, um, your IP, describe technology, describe engineering, describe every facet of your company as if it's been built and then figure out what do you have to do to get there. Much okay. like building a home. If you were going to renovate your kitchen, you wouldn't just start renovating. You would have pictures and drawings and sketches of what your finished kitchen would look like. And then you would draw the blueprints to make that come true. And then you would start at the bottom and build up. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. you build your business the same way, but most people don't visual visualize what it's going to look like, so they just make it a little bit bigger than it was today. So let's say there's a guy listening to this, and and he's doing. Let's say they're doing a uh, hundred thousand in revenue a year. Okay, they, mm-hmm. they they're spending a certain amount of money on Facebook ads. Um, they're writing content to get some SEO. Well, what else could they practically do to really? grow beyond that be i mean other than going out and getting an investor involved and then you know throwing a ton of money at marketing what else could you do to really you know, double your business in three years well the, the first thing is lean out three years and describe what it looks like three years from now in such vivid detail that you really know what it looks like and then reverse engineer it and decide based on that what you can do to get there what will be the foundational things so it could be working on your brand. It could be working on your image. It could be working on having much happier customers than you've got. It could be on raising your prices. It could be on, you know, spending a little bit less time working on email and social media and more time asking your current customers for more referrals. It could be looking into a whole new business or a whole new business or product. Mm-hmm. You know, I sat with a guy years ago and asked him why he was in the business that he was in. And he said, I always wanted to have a very fast growing big company but I didn't ever want to have a lot of office space. So I knew that I needed to have a product or service that was worth a lot of money that would not take up a lot of space. So he started selling diamonds and Hmm. he literally took his business from 1 million to a hundred million and he never had to move offices. So he thought about his business in its future state and reverse engineered that. And I think that's what a lot of our, you know, the listener has to do right now is think about their business at a million dollars in revenue and that will show them what they need to work on. What would you say is the main reason why businesses, I guess, fail? Do you think it comes down to really just fear, like just pure fear and laziness? Like, oh, you know what? I'm never going to be able to do that. Or, you know, I, I just- think most more often it comes down to, to two areas. One is focus. And then the second is financial acumen or financial you know, visibility. Um, so the first one is focus. I mean, a lot of people wake up in the morning and they're busy, but they're not necessarily working on the critical few things. You know, right. if I was building a home, I would obsess about making sure the foundation of my home was solid and then I would work on the walls. But a lot of people will worry about putting in the cabinets and the wolf stove, but get the foundation built first. So too many, I think too many people are, are just doing too many random things. They also are trying to figure it all out 
when virtually every problem or opportunity has been figured out by somebody right now, just your R&D should stand for rip off and duplicate. <laughs> take, take the best systems that somebody else is doing and just do those. Hmm. So, talk to me about 1-800-GOT-JUNK because that's like a great case study. Um, when, you, when, you met with the, when you met with the founder um, and they were doing 2 million, did you have or did they have a vision of getting to $100 million in six years? Was that the vision? Was that the goal? They didn't have the vision of the $100 million yet. They had the vision of building a bigger brand. And we started talking about what the company would look and feel like and started dreaming about what it could look like as a bigger brand. And then one afternoon, we were sitting with our lawyer, Andrew Sherman, and he asked Brian and I, Brian was the CEO, mm -hmm. where did we think our business would be five years from now in terms of revenue? And Brian and I literally at the same time said $100 million. <laughs> and we looked at each other and we started to laugh going, how ballsy would we be to go from $2 million to $100 million in five years? Hmm. But because we both said that same number, we decided to reverse engineer it and see what it would look like. So that day with Andrew, we reverse engineered the numbers from 100 back to 2 and decided how much revenue we would need to do to each of those years to get there. And then I started putting the plans in place. Brian put the vision in place for 2003, which was three years out. Um, and then we just reverse engineered it. And we literally went from $2 million to $106 million in five years. That's insane. Well, what's the biggest uh, contributing factor, would you say, to that growth? Like, that's, that's serious growth. For us, it was culture and PR. You know, we really obsessed about culture before it was really... Um, you know, talked about a lot. We really understood. I understood that, that to build a great business, it had to be slightly more than a business, slightly less than a religion. You had <laughs> to build that cult-like environment. So we really built that and obsessed about that. So I'm going to, um, this is a great example. Sorry there, but junk. Sure. How, do you, how do you create a freaking culture out of junk? You know what I mean? This is a great example. We're not talking well, about guitars. We're talking about junk. Yeah, so I learned it in house painting. You know, house painting is just about as boring as junk. So um, <laughs> right. what you do is you, you first only bring people in that are vibrating like you're vibrating. So you bring in people that you like to hang out with because the energy spreads. So you don't bring in any negative, grumpy, serious people. You bring in fun, hyper energetic people who are really going to spread more of that energy. Um, you make sure that everyone is aligned with your vision, that common purpose. So everyone knows where we're going so that we're all pulling in that same direction. You give people really important jobs that they can do and you give them the skill set to do it. And then you just keep talking about culture and hiring more of those people and getting rid of the grumpy people. And sure enough, it, it becomes kind of like this bonfire that you keep stoking and fueling and it's exciting. Um, and then we would get, we'd get the press was the second part. We would get the media to talk about what we were doing. And mm. when the media talked about, but what they were doing was talking about the future of where we were going, not as much about what we were doing today. Because so we junk is boring. To tell the media about the future, our vivid vision. Right. Because I, I was just going to say, like, how do you get the PR agencies or the media networks to talk about a, 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 essentially a, a, a business that just takes out junk? It's, it's, it's nothing special. So it's interesting. It's it's pretty easy, really. At the end of the day, every single morning, every journalist wakes up and thinks, what the hell am I going to write about today? <laughs> so they need to come up with a new story idea every day. What we do is we just say, hey, do you have a couple minutes? I think I have a good story for you. And they all say yes. And, and that's really all it is. We landed 5,200 stories in the media about our company in six years. You know, I've been covered in, I've, I don't know, I've lost count. Hundreds and hundreds of outlets have covered me personally. Hmm. And it's just because it's not really news, but they need something to write about today. So give them a story.
So let, again, so someone listening to this, they have a small business and they would love to get exposure. I mean, I, I hear it all the time. I just launched, I, we, we spoke about this before the interview, but I just launched uh, a new company called Get Featured um, where we get people featured on podcast shows because of the fact that so many people want to get out there. They want to, um, you know, jump on the bandwagon that they're seeing so many celebrities or mini celebrities are doing. They're just getting a lot of press. Um, how do you get on, let's say, Forbes or Inc. or HuffPost or any of these types of people? People are like wondering, how do I, how do, I do that? I don't have an interesting story necessarily. What do I do? Well, so there's three, three really easy steps. The first one is to really know your angle. And you've got to come up with two or three different potential angles that the media might give a shit about. So that might be your overcoming adversity angle. It could be your, you know, why you quit your job and started your company. It could be some lesson from the edge that you had or some lesson, um, you know, that is relevant that the readers or viewers or listeners are going to benefit from. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be a customer angle. It could just be why your customer is benefiting from your product or service. You know, so I've launched the COO Alliance, which is the only network of its kind in the world for second in commands. So I could get media talking about why COOs are benefiting and how they're, you know, learning from each other and fueling their own businesses. That's relevant to their readers or their viewers, et cetera. So that's mm-hmm. the first one is just knowing your angle and coming up with maybe five key supporting points for each angle. Mm-hmm. The second one is to know your target. And you really have to understand your target audience. So every media outlet is completely different and has different viewers or, or readers. And here's the example. If I'm going to pitch a business story, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, Inc. Magazine, Success Magazine, you know, your podcast, um, the Art of Charm podcast, uh, you know, a blogger, they're all different. Even though they're all business, they're very different. You know, Wall Street Journal's business readers versus your listeners are very different audiences, even though they're both business. So you have to understand who the, the audience is and why your angle or why your story matters to them. You know, why would they give a shit? Hmm. And once you understand that, then you can kind of position or spin your story so that the media outlet takes notice. And then the third way, and this is the one that almost no one will do, even though I'll tell them and I've done it for 24 years, you pick up the phone. <laughs> oh, everyone God. else in the, in the world is sending emails and getting hundreds of emails and sending news releases and press releases, but no one is picking up the phone. When you pick up the phone and call the journalist, call the blogger, call the podcaster and say, hey, do you have two minutes? I think I have a good story for you. They all say yes. Yeah. I actually cover all of these ways to get PR, both in my book, Double Double. I cover it in detail. And then I also cover it on a video that people can get at CameronHerald.com. They can get a video on how to generate all this PR. And it's hmm. literally that simple. I'll put that link in my show notes. Um, you mentioned picking up the phone. So first of all, I want to just sort of give a bit of a uh, challenge to those listening because, you know, I listen to, to a few podcast shows and I know a lot of people listening to podcast shows and they just sort of listen, they get entertainment, they get inspired and then they don't take action. And the truth is, is that at the end of the day, if you're not taking any action, you're wasting your time. Um, so my challenge to those listening right now is when you finish listening to this, literally go down a list of the ideal um, media outlets you'd like to get into pick up the phone and make three phone calls that's it just make three phone calls if they say no fine right but at least make those phone calls and try and see what happens um, now you wrote a book called meetings suck why why do meetings suck? why do you think meetings suck and what should people do about it 
So meetings actually don't suck. We suck at running meetings. And I was um, getting a lot of CEOs, a lot of entrepreneurs kept complaining about meetings. And what I realized was, you know, we would never send our kid off to play little league baseball or to go to soccer without teaching them the basics of the sport. You know, we wouldn't let them go without knowing how to hold the ball or catch a ball or, or hold the bat. We would never set them up for that failure. And, and yet we're going to allow our employees to go to attend a meeting or run meetings without having any training. So I realized that if I could give them the core basics on how to run highly effective meetings and teach them also the types of meetings to run, and then if I could structure the book for both employees and leaders, that they would finally be able to stop complaining about meetings. And it's literally been a home run. People are buying it by the hundreds of copies to give it to all their employees or customers' employees. Um, and I just got fed up with people complaining about something because the reality is meetings don't suck at all. We just suck at running them. So how would you run your meeting? If we, if we had a meeting today, what would, what, how would you run it? So I'll give you the core basics. Every meeting has to start on time, right? You have to start exactly at the time that you're supposed to start. I also like finishing every meeting five minutes early. So I finish every meeting and every phone call five minutes early. That gives me time to walk down the hall, talk to my assistant, grab a cup of coffee, go to the bathroom, check my email and sit down and start the next meeting or phone call exactly on time. Mm-hmm. Every meeting has to have a clear purpose, just the one sentence, why are we here? Every meeting can have a maximum of three outcomes, just the three big things you're going to get done. Mm -hmm. And every meeting has to have an agenda. What are you covering? In what order are you covering it? And how many minutes are you spending on each agenda item? Those are really the core basics of meetings. And and really, every meeting is anytime two or more people are either meeting in person, face-to-face, over video, or on the phone. So are we ending this podcast show five minutes early? I would love to. That way, I can be <laughs> out the door and on time. Um, I'll, I'll go. I'll go right down to the minute with you because I actually have a thirty-minute break today. I'm heading off to the golf course to um, just prep some stuff for the day, and then I'm coming back to the office. Very cool. What about in terms of public speaking? You, you know, um, you're one, you're pretty much you've spoken in what twenty-six countries now, paid speaking. Yeah, 20, twenty-six or twenty-seven countries. I think I'm at. Very, very cool. I mean, that's one of the things that I want to do is uh is get paid to to speak around the world it's one of my dreams and um i'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this as well who would love to uh to get paid to speak what would you say what would be your advice number one to to start you know getting on the speaking circuit how do you get started with that well the way i started was really having a really strong relevant story that the media would talk about and then the media coverage gave me ways to connect with people who were looking for speakers to say, hey, I'm, I've got something important, and I use that media credibility for people to listen. Um, then I created content that was very, very strong, deliverable content so that the audiences would resonate with it. And I made sure that I only spoke to audiences that would actually care. So I said no to groups that you know just weren't a fit. Like, I will never speak to government. Um, <laughs> I'll never speak to you know big, boring corporate. I only work with entrepreneurial organizations, entrepreneurial conferences, or companies that want to embrace entrepreneurial growth systems. And then I make sure that I really leave them like they've been drinking from a fire hose, where they walk away going, holy shit, I've got you know dozens and dozens of great ideas to put in place here. Um, and then it just goes from there. So in the early days, you know, just try to get into a couple events and do them for free, do a couple breakouts, get videos, get testimonials, hmm. and then add to that, just ladder up. Do you, do you ever get nervous when you're about to get on stage? I always get a little bit nervous, yeah. And my my nerves are, are now much less about will I do well. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I've been speaking and, and high-performing speaking for years. 
my nerves now are, I really want this audience to love this stuff. Not, not to love me, but like, I feel that I really owe the audience. You know, I'm speaking at an event called freedom fast lane coming up and just kind of prepping to, to go out and speak at it. There's going to be about 800 um, entrepreneurs in the room. And I really feel like they're there and want to benefit. And I really want to crush it for them. So I, I just take that very seriously. And, and I also realize that every audience is always a little bit different. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm always a little bit nervous. Well, you mentioned earlier in the conversation, you mentioned Elon Musk, and you also mentioned meeting the founder of Uber. Um, it, can you name a few other people that you've that you've uh, been close with? Well, yeah, it's like I'm 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 very close friends with Tim Ferriss. Um, Tim Ooh. and I met years and years ago at a speaking event we were doing for Warren Buffett. And um, Tim has stayed at my home. Um, he and his brother have stayed at my place. We've gone for countless dinners, talked about wow. lots of personal stuff. I, I brought Tim to Burning Man for his first Burning Man. You know, mm. just an amazing, amazing, wonderful guy. He actually is the one who brought Garrett Camp, who was the founder of Uber, into um, my camp at Burning Man as well. And that's where I met Garrett from from Uber, who built his first company, StumbleUpon. Um, Tim introduced me to Yannick Silver, uh, wow. who I've coached now for eight years. You um, coached Yannick Silver? Wow. Yeah, Yannick's been one of my clients. Joe Polish is a client of mine. Um, you know, Joe and I are in the Genius Network together. We set our daily top three goals with each other. Um, I had Simon Sinek flew out from New York to meet me in 2003, and Simon and I have been friends since, so for 13 years, I've been close friends with Simon. Five years before he wrote Start With Why or did his TED Talk, we've known each other. So I've been really fortunate, but I think what... I realized a long time ago is my network is my net worth. Yeah. So it's yeah. the people that I hang out with are the ones that are going to raise my game. So mm -hmm. the more people that I hang out with that are doing stuff, you know, setting big goals, um, taking on life and, and, you know, not sitting at home watching reality TV, the more that that's going to raise my game as well. You know, I learn more, I share more, I hear more. Um, so like today when I'm going golfing, I'm going golfing with a, a CEO and two COOs and I know that my game is going to get raised again, both my <laughs> golf game, because two of them are, are two handicaps wow. and my, you know, my ideas. So, and then I also go into these events with, with stuff that I want to learn. So I, I go into it with, you know, questions that I can ask and, and mm -hmm. always wanting to get better. And I realize that I don't have to be the one to figure this out. I can R and D my, my R and D stands for rip off and duplicate. I love it. So two questions really. Number one is, I'm sure people are listening to this going, holy heckles, like how, how do I get in, how do I get, like in, this guy's like really hooked up. Like how did you, number one, how did you get in touch with these people? How did you, you know, how, build relationships with these, with, with them? And number two is what would you say they have in common? What would you, you know, hanging out with rubbing shoulders with Tim Ferriss, Elon Musk, you know, what, what do they have in common? Well, what, one of the things they have in common is they dream bigger um, the second thing they have in common is they hang out with really cool people and they, they always want to learn. Um, the third thing is they probably never accept no as an answer. You know, they're always <laughs> pushing and, and driving. Right. And the way that I meet them is I, I put myself into and around events that they're at. So I'll give you some examples. I, I invest my money instead of investing my money in the stock market, mm -hmm. I invest my money in attending events that important people will be at that I can build relationships with. Because I know that if I spend 10 grand to go to, you know, an event like that, I go to the main TED conference every year for five days. Mm -hmm. In fact, this year we're going to TED Global in Africa. We went to TED Women and we're going to the main stage TED again. So that's probably $25,000 in conference attendance fees that I will spend 
but I'm hanging out with people that are literally ripping the cover off the ball. Um, <laughs> so I have, I have these incredible connections that I make with them that, that will, you know, grow into something else. So last year at Ted, I was lying in a, um, a room filled with balls and lying on the ground watching the <laughs> TED talk and Larry Page was sitting a foot and a half, two feet away from me. No so way. You, so when you put yourself in these rooms with these people, you end up doing bigger deals because they're doing bigger deals. You know, so I attend Genius Network. I'm a part of Dan Sullivan's strategic coach. I go to Yannick Silver's Camp Maverick. I'm looking at going to Necker Island with Yannick and his group this year. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and I, I'm in Jason Gaynard's mastermind talk. So I'm, I'm involved in four groups that are filled with high performance people. And, and that's really why I even started the COO Alliance was I wanted to give a, a network for the second in command because there's nowhere in the world for the COO to connect and work and learn from each other. But I kind of feel like it's almost like a catch 22, right? Because the people who I kind of feel like the people who are not connected it's hard for them to get connected. The people who are connected are just growing exponentially their, their network and their net worth. What would you say to someone who's listening to this who he's basically a nobody. He, he, doesn't, he hasn't connected with anybody. And even if he goes to one of these you know, events and, and splashes out whatever, $10,000, $20,000 to go to it, he sees Tim Ferriss, you know, what's he going to do? Like, he, Hi, Tim, you know, how are you? How do you build that relationship? And how do you actually, you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So a couple, a couple things. One is, you know, cowboy the fuck up. (laughs) You you put on, you put on your big boy pants and you stop saying, woe is me. And you just go and, and just start being around people. That's number one. Number two is remain interested. So if you are just focused on your business, you're boring. But if you have hobbies and passions and ideas and dreams and a bucket list and, and, and you're, you know, interested in things, you'll have stuff to talk to people about. So, you know, read, read their books because um, people want to talk about themselves. So ask them about their books that they've written or tell them what you liked about it or find out what their hobbies are and talk to them about their hobbies or get your own damn hobbies so that you're an interesting person. Right. You know, watch, watch the TED Talks and, and have cool stuff to talk about and You'll find that if you just say, hey, what's up? What are you thinking about? Or you just ask them, like, how did you get to where you are? I'm working on my business. Can you give me a couple of tips? Um, You know, one by one, you'll grow. But if you're going to sit at home constantly and say, oh, it's too hard. Or, oh, woe is me. Or, oh, they know everybody. Well, you know, that's your own pity party. But it's not one that I go to. (laughs) <laughs> love it love it and, and, and you know, I wasn't you know look I wasn't always in this position you know before I met a lot of these people I was simply a guy but I would go to chamber of commerce events or I would go to you know BNI breakfast meetings or I would join groups you know it's why I joined my tennis club and my golf club was to to connect with and hang out with important people hmm. you know join your local join a local tennis club and and start playing tennis twice a week and mm-hmm. guess what the people that are a member of the tennis club are probably more successful and doing more things than the guy playing at the city courts hmm. right so instead of spending your money on cigarettes and <laughs> you know useless things that you don't need spend your money on your network and start hmm. small and grow it but maybe one one every quarter do something small even if it's going to an event for $50 in your city or going to the local TEDx event in your city like you don't Mm -hmm. have to spend tens of thousands of dollars but you've got to start small and grow but it's not going to happen by sitting in your home building your business by yourself right you got to get out there it's it's certainly not going to happen by working harder you don't have like 
the thing that really drives me crazy about entrepreneurs is they keep wanting to work harder. I'll work harder. I'll work harder. I'll work hard. Stop working hard. You're like the fly trying to bang your head against the window. Turn to the right, you know, turn to the right 90 degrees and the door is right open in front of you. So just go fly mm. out the door. Mm. Love it. And you know, that's exactly why I started this podcast show. You know, I started it just about a year ago and my network has like literally blown up. I mean, I've, you know, it's just been insane. I had the smartest man alive on my, on my show um, two days ago. Um, I had the leading FBI um, hostage negotiator on my show. Uh, it, it, it's just mad. The people that have, have come on my show, it, it's like, I mean, I've got you on my show, which is great. So, and every yeah. single... You know what I'm the saying? FBI, who's the FBI negotiator? I just got an email from somebody about that. He's writing a book. Is that oh, who it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Voss. Uh, Chris Voss. Yeah, yeah you know yeah, he, he literally just sent me an email asking me. He actually, I think I gave him his book title because he was, he was um, no. on social media asking what his book title should be. Never split See, this the difference. Is what, this is what I mean. When, so if, you, if you're around people and you're listening to people and you're networking with people, your network grows and it, mm -hmm. and it does start to snowball. Yeah, and to give my listeners an example, prime example, is that uh, you uh, on Facebook, we connected on Facebook, and you, you even um, now are going to introduce me to, uh, what's his name, Rick? Uh, Free Freeway Rick Ross, yeah. Freeway Crazy Rick story. Ross, who, who, is the, who is the biggest drug dealer, a cocaine drug dealer in U.S. history, is that right? Yeah, he, he was doing, I met, I, I had dinner with him at an event called Mastermind Talks two years ago. He was the largest cocaine dealer in U.S. history and at his peak was doing $980 million a year in cocaine and he was oh. buying it all from the U.S. government. Um, he was buying the cocaine on consignment and paying them back later. So the government oh, was selling God. him the drugs. No way. <laughs> wow. So, so, so those listening, you know, look out for that one because that one's coming soon. That's insane. Um, you know, uh, one name just came in my head as well as you were talking about, you know, getting out there and, and basically being different to, to everybody else to get it, you know, to sort of get to know people. Um, a guy called Hal Elrod, who I'm sure you're very familiar with. You, you co-authored a book with him recently. And yeah. what, what I love about Hal, and I'm, I'm going to be very blunt here. So if Hal's listening to this, you know, um, Hal had a car accident a number of years ago and he survived. Okay. Now, a lot of people have accidents. A lot of people have, you know, serious situations happen to them in life. I almost drowned. I was literally, I pretty much died and then it was resuscitated. I, I, I was saved miraculously. Uh, two random old men somehow in a small little boat. I was in the middle of the ocean. I was drowning. I was caught in an undertow and I was at my last breath. And when I say my last breath, I literally was, I was done. And somehow they, they found me and they, and they pulled me out from it and, um, <clears throat> and nothing wow. happened, you know, nothing happened. In other words, I just went on with my life, you know. This guy, Hal Elrod, decided I'm going to take this and I'm going to make it into a freaking huge opportunity. And he did. He wrote a book called The Morning Miracle, which again, big freaking whoop. Okay, wake up early. Thank you very much. You know, it's like, okay, great advice. I know. I've heard it before, right? Who doesn't know? If you wake up earlier, you'll get more done. Thank you very much. But Hal made it into a huge, huge international success, right? Here's an average guy, had a car accident, you know, miraculously lived, and then used that as like a card to get in places and to network and to, you know, it's like you go up to somebody and they say, who are you? And they could say, you know, you could say, I'm a business consultant. Oh God, not another freaking business consultant. My like eyes glaze over and I, 
start looking around the room. But if you say, hi, my name's Hal, um, you know, I, I had a crazy car accident like a couple of years ago and I was pretty much dead. And then they managed to, what? Wow, that's incredible. I mean, you know, so... And then the whole morning miracle thing, he, he created like a cult, like you said, a culture around waking up early in the morning, right? For sure. No, and by, by the way, for all of our, for our, our listener right now, Hal is actually, um, was three weeks ago, was diagnosed with leukemia. Oh um, my goodness. So he's, he's actually in hospital in getting very serious care. Um, I think he'll beat it, but he's... He's definitely needs all of our well wishes and our prayers and our thoughts. And um, it actually he was diagnosed about a day or two before our book launched uh, last month. So, oh, um, wow. no. So the Miracle Morning and, and our book that Hal and I wrote, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, which is one everyone should, should read this. His savers are kind of the, the morning routine. It starts off with silence and just, you know, five minutes of just waking up and not grabbing your email right away, just being silent and just kind of just being present and then getting into affirmations and thinking about, you know, why are you strong? What do you believe in yourself that is, um, is going to kind of get you excited and get you pumped up for the day, spending a little bit of time on visualizations and thinking about where you're going and thinking about your vivid vision and really thinking about the future so that you can exercise or sorry, execute on today, but you're thinking about that future. And then he gets into what, so a little bit of morning exercise. And even if it's a, a seven minute workout, um, that's more than most people ever do. And it really pump starts your, your whole system and gets you going a little bit of time reading. Um, and again, that's kind of the R and D right. Rip off and duplicate. So, mm. um, just doing, you know, reading a blog or reading a book or reading, you know, gratitudes, anything like that. And then scribing, which, which he talks about is kind of your gratitude journal, um, making notes, making your list of your top five. So his morning savers, again, silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing is really his morning routine. Wow, that's really, really cool. Um, here's a cliche question. I'm going to ask it to you. You know, if you lost everything today, you know, I'm talking all the, all the, imagine your bank account got wiped out, your network finished, and you had to start again, what would you do tomorrow morning? Wow, I would probably sort of try to surround myself with some really smart people and get my confidence built back up by them telling me what I was strong at. I think confidence is one. Mm -hmm. um, I would probably try to, uh, you know, shape a business that would give me more free time, um, you know, that would scale easier. Mm -hmm. um, I would probably spend a lot more time with friends and family and, and really, you know, not worry about money as much. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, none of us are getting out of this alive. And the more time that we spend with our real friends and family is going to be really powerful. Wow. So probably areas like that. Very interesting and very counterintuitive. Like, you know, I, would, I was kind of expecting you to kind of go, well, I'll just do the same thing I did and I'll just build up my network again. But it's very interesting how you, you kind of said no, because mentally I, I wouldn't be there. Right, I would need to get rebuild myself mentally first and emotionally before I start, you know, over again. Um, so that's yeah. Right. And that, that happened to me years ago when I, I left. You know, one eight hundred got junk. Um, people would think I would have just left and jumped in and started my next company, which mm. I actually took three months off and did nothing. I hung out with friends, hung out with family. I golfed and ran and hiked and and then I wrote every day for twenty to thirty minutes a day. I had a journal and I just took notes. And it was extraordinarily powerful to just have time to mind map and do lifelines and think about stuff without having to be busy. 
Very cool. And just before we wrap this up, uh, what would be your number one piece of advice to someone listening to this who is looking to really scale their business? Sure. So the number number one advice I would have, in, other than the vivid vision, which I cover in chapter one of Double Double, mm-hmm. um, the number one thing is don't take ourselves so seriously. You know, at the, at the end of the day, we're not getting out of this alive. This is just what we do to make money. Let's have fun along the way. And I think if you have fun along the way, people will resonate more with you. You know, you're, you'll, it's just people will want to help you. But if you take yourself so darn seriously <laughs> that everything is effort and everything is work and everything is focus, you're just boring. Um, wow. So that's I, really, then maybe that's probably the most counterintuitive because it's really, yeah. just have fun. Have some I fun. Re- I really like that piece. That's amazing. Really. Karen, what's the best way for my listeners to get in touch with you? Um, so the easiest is CameronHerald.com. is got you know all of my information, videos that they can download, worksheets, etc. And then my books, The Double Double, Meeting Suck, and The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneur are all available on Amazon, iTunes, Audible. Very cool. And all of those will be in my show notes, which you can get at um, DanielGeffen.com forward slash 54. Cameron, thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. It's been really, really nice getting to know you more and you've had some incredible advice. I hope my listeners have taken as much as I have out of this. Um, Also, thank you to my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.